Hello and welcome to Carnivorous Chats. My name is James, your host. I started this podcast to help other folks share their own healing stories and to interview thought leaders and experts in the carnivore, keto, and low oxalate space. Before we begin, I'd like to give a shout out to Equip Foods and the Carnivore Bar. As an affiliate, you can use the link in the show notes to get a discount on their products when you check out using the code CARNIVOROUS. Thanks in advance for listening, subscribing, and any likes or shares. And now, on with the podcast. Hi, everyone. It's James, and it's your host of Carnivorous Chats. I'm really excited today to be talking to this guest, particularly excited because I listened to him in my Rivero community with Dr. Baker, as well as on a podcast with my dear friend Casey Ruff of Boundless Body Radio. I have Hal Cranmer joining me today, and Hal has four assisted living homes in the Phoenix area, and they go under, correct me if I'm wrong, Hal, but the moniker are Paradise for Parents. Is that correct? So Hal, thank you and welcome to Carnivorous Chat. That's correct, James. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. It's amazing to talk to you. The stories that you've told and your story particularly is so inspiring. And I just wanted to let more folks know about what it is that you're doing to help the assisted care community and elderly folks, you know, putting them on a low carbohydrate and sometimes even carnivore diet. It's it's just amazing. And I just wanted to start this podcast by asking you, how did you come to this uh, in your life? I know you were a pilot prior for many years. So please tell us your background, how if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Um, yeah, I never thought I'd be in this business growing up. No one because I want to grow up to be an assisted living homeowner. I went to the Air Force Academy for college. I was gung-ho, wanted to be a pilot for the Air Force, all that. Um, went to flight school, flew uh, C-130s in the Air Force for the Air Force Special Ops Command. So we did a lot of sneaky stuff and, you know, wearing night vision goggles and landing in darkest Africa in the middle of the night, and pulling people out of there and lots of cool stuff. But I... Uh, came back from a deployment from Saudi Arabia when my daughter was two and uh, she didn't recognize me. <laughs> I'd been gone for four or five months and I decided, you know, I've got a family now and I'd like to see them grow up rather than videotape from a tent in the Middle East. Um, so that was late 90s. I got out um, actually right before 9-11 and then I joined the airlines, uh, flew for an airline called U.S. Air, which no longer exists. American bought them and folded them in several years ago. And 9-11 um, happened maybe three years after I got into the airlines. Half of the pilots at U.S. Air got laid off. Tens of thousands of pilots all over the place got laid off because the airline industry was devastated by that event. And no one was hiring because... They were all furloughed, they're union pilots, and they have to hire back all their laid off pilots before they can start bringing you back on. So there was no flying jobs unless you wanted to go back in the military or go fly cargo in Africa or something. But again, I wanted to see my family, so I had no desire to do that. So I ended up finding a job in Minnesota where my wife's from, went into manufacturing for a long time, just trying to find something I could do. And I was kind of flipping houses and doing some rental properties on the side, mostly around the University of Minnesota, renting to college kids, grad school kids, first job, roommates kind of people. And an investor told me, hey, you should check out assisted living. I uh, didn't know much about it and thought, I don't want to deal with old people. But 
old people don't kick indoors and have keg parties like college kids do. So, well, maybe they'll take better care of my building. So I came down to Phoenix, took a class in it um, with the Residential Assisted Living Academy. A great guy named Gene Garino helped run that class. Um, his And his realtor, I started talking to him and he said, hey, I've got a couple that are being sold if you're interested in, in buying them. I talked to my wife. I actually went to flight school in Phoenix a long time ago, and we loved Phoenix and wanted to move back here, especially after going through a whole bunch of Minnesota winters. So we looked at the homes, we got into them, and we sold everything in Minnesota, left the job, and came down here and said, let's go for it. Um, our our oldest, our daughter, my two-year-old daughter was now a college student, and um, she was going to Arizona State. My two sons really wanted to go to Arizona State, too, so in-state tuition was going to help, and uh, us being close to them was going to help. So we moved down here. The homes weren't nearly making as much money as we thought they were when we bought them, let's say that. So it was a struggle at first, but we worked really hard and got them going, but I really got into this business as an investor, real estate guy, thinking, you know, they're going to make me a lot of money and um, they do okay. But once I got into it, I was really, it upset me that it seemed like all we did was basically babysit these people as they declined and, and eventually died, you know, and the biggest emphasis was making sure the medications that were prescribed by the doctor were given according to the directions given us, which obviously is an important thing. I'm not bashing that, but it just seemed like we could do so much better because those medicines weren't making them better. In a lot of cases, people were on 15 to 30 different medications. And, you know, yes, their pain was numbed, but there was no improvement. And in addition to that, it was much more of it, it, it almost felt like a glorified hospice. Like we're here to make you comfortable, to give you whatever you want and to just watch you decline and eventually pass away. And I was like, well, I wouldn't want that for my mom or dad or grandmother or grandfather. So I just decided we're going to do better. Of those 15 to 30 medications uh, in, in a prior podcast, you said that we're the clinical trials showing that they all work cohesively together, right? Right. Yeah. Because everyone has a different 15 or 30. I mean, there's some recurring themes of some of them, but they're, none of them are the same. And I guarantee they haven't spent the millions of dollars to see how they're working together. And, and so we're conducting science experiments in every assisted living home in America. And we're going to get into the diet because that's the probably the most profound, impactful part of this. But, you know, one of the things I also noticed that you said, you have to mark down every single aspirin that you dole out to your uh, residents. However, you never get questioned on what you feed them. That's a, that's a, the irony of that statement, really, isn't it? It is. The, the state requirement is that you have some kind of dietary guidelines in your policies and procedures, which normally everyone copies and pastes the normal government food pyramid in there and that you have a, a menu posted i think it's for the upcoming month it might only be for a week i can't remember my managers handle that but that's all the state checks and, and i'm not a big fan of having the state micromanage your whole business but you but what the state emphasizes is what everyone does 
And, you know, a lot of assisted livings will advertise, I got a perfect state inspection, not I'm trying to make you better. <laughs> and so, you know, what the state looks for in that inspection, so they can say, I got a perfect inspection, is, you know, what people do. So if they're not going to emphasize it, people are going to concentrate completely on the medications. And, and that's important. We should have those medications right. But they're not doing anything for anyone, really. Let's dive into this a little bit. What are let's let's talk about your homes specifically that you have um, your care facilities. What do they look like in terms of size and how many residents do you have in each one? And tell us about some of the unique features that you have. What I really appreciate listening to you talk was one of the things that sounded so cool to me because we've all had family members that have been in assisted care facilities, myself included, or most of us listening should have. It was that you allowed the family members to come any time of day, which I thought was great because, you know, the community and social aspect is so important and we'll get onto that. But tell us about your homes and that there are unique differences that you have. Yeah. My, my website guys hey, said, Hey, you put no visiting hours on your website. That means you have to let everyone come anytime you want. I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> They're like, really? Because um, they work with some other assisted living places and stuff. So yeah, my homes are residential homes um, converted to assisted living. They're, if you drive by them in a re the residential neighborhood they're in, you would never know they're assisted living homes. The HOAs won't let us put signs out front or anything like that. So and we have to comply just like every other HOA. Um, a lot of HOAs don't even want them in their neighborhoods because it's not a single family home, but you know, the Americans with Disabilities Act kind of forces them to do it. So we take a, a large home, 35, 3,600 square feet, single story because stairs are tough for assisted living residents. Um, and I really don't want to pay to put an elevator in. So, and um, we'll put, six to eight bedrooms in each home. Um, the state licenses us for up to 10 residents. It varies by state, but Arizona, above 10, you become an assisted living center and subject to a whole bunch of new regulations. So everyone has 10 bed homes. So we have some shared rooms, some private rooms. The shared rooms are, are less expensive. I often recommend shared rooms for people with dementia or cognitive decline problems because they get a lot more social interaction. The worst thing that you can do to a dementia or Alzheimer's person is isolate them, which is what we did during the last couple of years, unfortunately. So um, we'll have, like I said, but a lot of people like having private rooms for their mom or dad, so we get it. Um, there's shared bathrooms, you know, a big house normally has three or four bathrooms. People do build these as assisted living homes and they'll have 10 bedrooms and 10 private baths and all that. I haven't done that. Um, I, like I said, I bought the existing businesses, but other than that, they're residential homes. And because they're residential homes, I tell people, this is your mom's home. This is your dad's home. They can have visitors whenever they want in their home. I'm not going to stop them from doing that. It, and, and it's amazing how many people ask me, well, can my mom have a cell phone? Or, you know, are we ever allowed to take my mom out of here to go to lunch? And I'm like, it's her home, you know, get mad at me if I tell you, no, I want her to feel like it's her place. If And having them take them out for lunch, 
having them take them for a weekend, having them take them for holidays is just a wonderful experience. And, and the more healthy we can make them, the more times they can do that. Yeah, that's so great, Hal. I, I, you know, I appreciate your advocacy in that area. That, as you correctly say, the social interaction is key, especially as you age and for those cognitive um, decline, especially, you know, like dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that. So important. I've also heard you talk about how you were so intrigued because you had some living history in your in your homes over the time. Can you talk to us about a few of the residents that you've you've had in your homes? Sure. I had a guy who um, I'm kind of partial to pilots, but um, I had a guy who flew in the Berlin airlift. I had a guy who flew reconnaissance aircraft in the Korean War. I had a guy who shot down or not shot, who was shot down over North Vietnam and spent five and a half years in the Hanoi Hilton. I had a guy who made a fortune flipping cattle ranches in Northern Canada, which is crazy. Like buying old decrepit ones, fixing them up and like a fix and flip house, he'd do it with cattle ranches. And he was doing it in the fifties and sixties when no one was doing this. And, and he had a great story. Like when he first got married to his wife, he's dirt poor. Their first house was a chicken coop in Northern Canada that he removed all the chickens and put a fire thing in the middle of the floor with a hole in the ceiling of the roof for the smoke to go out. And he said it was cold because it was basically plywood walls in this chicken coop, no wow. insulation. And he, they lived for two or three years in that. So um, yeah, the stories are amazing. I had a lady who, um, who'd lived in Mesa all her life um, her dad was an actual cowboy in the 1920s or 30s, something like that. They used to go on vacation in a chuck wagon. Um, she'd tell me story. There's there's a big road in in Phoenix called Indian School Road because there was an actual Indian school there at one time. And she went to that school for a while. And she said when someone was annoying in class, the teacher would grab them by the hair and drag them physically down the hall to the principal's office. You know, times have changed a little. So um, just hearing the history of what people have done. And, and we've got the very great grandson. Now, I don't know how many greats of John Quincy Adams in our homes. And when I looked up John Quincy Adams on the Internet, I'm like, I can kind of see the resemblance there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just you're, you're part of living history. It's really amazing to see e even, you know, the guys who grew up normally that coached little league in the 60s or something like that or 70s just hearing their stories is is fun to to listen to i i really bad because you know you know as a youngster growing up i love to hear from my elders the stories about how it used to be and the things that they did and how different it was so that's that's really great mm -hmm. now let's let's set the scene if we can now you've taken over these homes, assisted care facilities in Phoenix. What did you inherit in terms of dietary choices for these elderly folks at the time? What were you looking at and what caused you to say, you know, I could be doing better. There's, there's things that I could change here. I didn't know much about diet. I was a big, I mean, when I was a pilot in the nineties, I was totally bought into the air force pilot military lifestyle of, you know, fly, fly and fight hard, play hard, you know, drink beer after every flight, order pizza, you know, go out with the fellas. And I, it was, I thought, well, if I exercise and worked out, I don't have to worry about anything, any, what I eat. 
well, when I first bought these assisted livings, I came down with, I don't know what I had, but I had constant, and this I, it might be too much information, but I had constant diarrhea for like two years. And I went to see regular doctors. I went to gastroenterologists. I had ultrasounds. I had uh, colonoscopy. I had all this stuff to try to figure out what was wrong. And the best they could come up with is, here, take a probiotic. Never said, don't, you know, eat differently. Never said, you know, there's a certain diet that'll fix this. So I finally just, a friend said, hey, try this naturopathic functional medicine guy I know. He's helped other people with this kind of stuff. So I went to them. They basically said, eat this carnivore diet and take, they gave me a couple supplements too. And in two weeks it was gone. Like healed, like solid joy to go to the bathroom again kind of thing. That was kind of my first, okay, weird here. How did they fix me so quickly? And all these doctors with all these degrees didn't even like go down this road at all. <laughs> um, so when I first bought the homes, you know, it was very much a, how can we save money on the food? You know, without grossing out the residents and their families. It was, you know, we the residents loved cookies after every meal they loved ice cream they loved cake they you know and and they were some of them were master manipulators of my caregivers that they'd give them cookies just to tell them you know leave me alone here's your cookie kind of thing so um we really at first when i was trying to get this up and running i didn't pay attention to the food but i was getting a lot of turnover in residence um, which I just you kind of expect in assisted living. My first thoughts were getting that me fixed and, you know, seeing that turnover. I'm like, I wonder if we just try a little health stuff. So that kind of got me going down the road of let's, there's got to be more to this than just accepting this high turnover rate one of the funniest things I, he I heard you say was you know you had actually early on found the nutritionist who advocated for a plant-based way of eating and you almost had a revolt in the home <laughs> yeah so that was the next step was i was like okay let's eat healthy so i just started searching the internet of eat health i mean i know that cake and ice cream is bad but i thought okay you know let's see and I, I had hired a trainer for the homes and he said, hey, my wife's a nutritionist and she's very much into the vegan plant-based thing and, and that's very good. So I said, okay, let's try that. And so we tried to figure out how to do this. And, and so she just started bringing over meals um, and the caregivers would heat them up and, and give them to the, the families. And, and it probably took three weeks of this and I had everyone, families calling me, residents pulling me aside saying, what's with this crap? We, we can't take it. And, and I asked the caregivers, are we seeing people get better? Like I could sell this if, if we're getting results. And they're like, no, everyone's doing the same. And it's costing me more because I got to get this lady to prepare meals and everything. And, and, Families were generally supportive at first, but they didn't eat the meals. <laughs> and then, and the other thing I found was when we did prepare meals, she didn't do all of them. 
the recipes had all kinds of weird ingredients that I'd have to go to all kinds of several different stores to find. I'm like, I don't have time to do this. I got to market my own. I got to make sure we're in compliance with all the, there's a whole lot of other stuff. I can't get the caregivers to do that. I, so it, it wasn't practical. Everyone hated it. And I, at the time I still thought, well, vegetarian diets are supposed to be really healthy for you. So I just, I was like, well, I guess we'll have to go semi-vegetarian or something like that. But it still bugged me that no one was getting better. I just said, there's got to be more to this. And that's where I kept researching and researching. You may not know my background, but I, I came to the carnivore way of eating from a vegan plant-based for six years where my health went off a cliff. And, um, you know, I, oh man, the amount of time and preparation that's required for those plant-based meals is a lot. People don't realize yeah. not only is yeah. it a lot of time, but it can be a lot of expense depending on the ingredients. As you say, the spices, the herbs. Back then I had five homes. So I had 50 people I was trying to do this with. Wow. So you can imagine the expense. You've kind of gone this route now. Which which came first, Hal? Was it the John Jackwish with the X3 bar? Was it Dr. Baker and then Dietary Choice next that you discovered? Oh, it was the John Jackwish. I heard him on a podcast. And I I actually ha have a full-time job still in manufacturing while I run these homes. So I was looking for a, an exercise routine that didn't involve me packing everything up, going to the gym, working out for an hour, showering, going to my regular job. You know, it, by the time you do all that, you're looking at two hours or so. I wasn't getting huge results in the gym and everything. So I just looking around like, what can I personally do that's a lot shorter, but might be as effective at least, or, or at least I'm not going backwards because I'm 55, <laughs> like you, starting to worry about old age. And so I heard him on, a, on, I don't remember, it was some health podcast. And I was like, wow, that sounds interesting. And I went to his website, saw all the testimonials, everything like that. I ordered his book, uh, which was had a very interesting title. I don't know if you've seen it, but weightlifting is a waste of time. Uh, so I, I was like, well, I got to read this because I've wasted 20 years of my life or something. Um and read through it. I was like, this makes a lot of sense. I'd much rather eat meat than vegetables. <laughs> I enjoy meat a lot more. So why not try this? So I started trying it myself and, and loved the results and loved how I felt. And I thought, this is something to try with my residents. Now, I haven't totally implemented carnivore with my residents other than one or two that wanted to do it, and, and especially for weight loss. But at least I've gone to the ketogenic diet with a heavy emphasis on meat. The other thing that kind of got me going down this road is as I researched more and more about how to help elderly people, I came across this thing called the Bredesen Protocol. And it asks for a ketogenic diet, but it's it's much more plant-based keto than meat-based. <laughs> Even though I know the Dr. Dale Bredesen's a big Alzheimer research and is a Caltech Duke grad and brilliant guy. I still, I wasn't convinced. And um, I think he's probably going to come around to our position eventually. He's much more into a huge number of factors contribute to cognitive decline and you've got to optimize all of them. And there's, and food is just one of those factors. I mean, it's a big one, but it's, if you get everything else right, 
and you're doing something along the line, some ketogenic diet with food, you're going to get results. So that also kind of brought me down this low carb road of, of getting people um, on this diet. It's really amazing. It's truly astounding. I, we were just, you know, talking a little bit offline about, you know, yes, I, I am, I'm 50 this year, but I feel like I'm in my twenties for the past two years. I was constantly full of aches and pains in my forties from a high oxalate plant-based diet just yeah. left me feeling like, and then how I don't even tell you about how bad my brain fog was constantly. I was convinced I was getting early onset Alzheimer's. I, because I couldn't remember anything. I'd be typing something and my memory would be gone. And all it took was a change in my diet, adding more animal foods back in. Are yeah. You I joke with my wife that before I switched to carnivore, I used to joke, you can't ever divorce me because I'll never be able to find anything. Because <laughs> I had that same thing. And I was like, finding keys, finding my wallet, phone, whatever. I'm constantly, hey, have you seen this? So let's, how let's talk about now. Um, what, now that you've said to you, you know, you've kind of made these switches early on for your residents and what type of things did you switch them to in terms of foods? I know you said low carb, ketogenic. Um, what did you you swap out? There must have been some stuff that has uh, sort of been ubiquitous in the residence uh, facilities that you've seen in the past. What type of swaps did you make food wise for your residents? Okay, well, we cut out um, all the sweets to begin with, and I I don't want to say really we're religious zealots about it. People have birthdays, there's Thanksgiving, there's Christmas. Um, those kind of become cheat days, but there's 10 birthdays a year. There's Thanksgiving and there's Christmas. So, and maybe a little Easter too. Um, and, and we don't go big onto it, but they'll get a little treat. But, you know, let's get rid of the sugar first of all. Um, then, like I said, we used, to, a lot of it was... Um, how can we keep the budget low when I first got these? You know, that meant macaroni and cheese. That meant cereal, uh, sandwiches for dinner, um, you know, those kind of things, spaghetti. Um, that all went by the wayside. So um, what's that Sean Baker podcast helped me out a whole lot. Um, we were doing it before that, but I have a lot of people contacted me through that podcast um, that like Maria Emmerich, I would love to shout out to her. I don't know if you know her, but she called me from Hawaii out of the blue and said, I'm going to send you every cookbook I've ever written on this. And she, and in a couple of weeks, I got a huge box at my door with about 10 cookbooks in it. Those have really helped. Um, and so we, we don't go, you got to eat, you know, eggs for breakfast, steak for lunch, hamburger for dinner. That's it. We try to do the ketogenic thing. We, we make a lot of casseroles because those are easy for, we can put them in the fridge, bring them out, stick them in the, the caregivers can just stick them in the oven for 15, 20 minutes, heat them up and cut them into slices and, and serve them to the residents. It's, I'm trying to make it as easy on them as I can as well. Um, like you said, I don't want to get exotic ingredients that are going to be really hard to source. Uh, we use a, a food delivery service from the grocery stores to bring the food so the caregivers can just get online and order it. Uh, we also, I advertised on Nextdoor, not advertised, but just said, hey, we're doing this. 
if anyone's into it in the local area, you know, we'd love to have some volunteers or some people who've done it sort of coach us on how to do it. And this lady who is in, practically a neighbor at one of my homes used to be run the cafeteria at uh, Hallmark it, before she retired. And she's like, I'd love to come. And we sat down over many weeks and pulled recipes from all over the place, combined them, made um, binders of the recipes in sleeves so the caregivers could pull them out and we could put Monday through Sunday. And that way the caregivers can look, okay, what's the next day's meal? So we'll know to grab the meat out of the, fr uh, the freezer and thaw it out for the next day's meals and things like that. We got crock pots, we got griddles, things like that to... Uh, slow cookers, pressure cookers. I changed out an oven to convection oven. So I'm like, I want to make this as easy as I can on you guys. And I even asked my managers who do a lot of cooking. I said, I'll pay you at home to prepare the stuff and then just bring it in, put it in the fridge so that caregivers during the week can put it, you know, heat it up. So we're, I'm trying to use my experience from manufacturing to like, how can we make this process a lot more efficient a lot quicker, you know, fewer rejects, all those kind of things that people look for in an assembly line applied to assisted living where we make it easy enough that the caregivers aren't like, you know, it'd be really easy to just heat up some spaghetti and sauce and serve it tonight. And also we cleaned out all the pantries of all the crap. So people are tempted to do that. That was going to be my next question, Hal, is because as folks get older, the tradition is bringing elderly folks sweets and candies and treats. Um, and, you know, the older folks tend to really eat them up um, because the brain is looking for energy sources as you age, right? Especially with impairments like dementia and Alzheimer's. How have you found that? I mean, are families noticing the changes in their loved ones now and saying, yeah, we should probably be changing up the treats that we bring them? And, and how has that gone? Anyone's free to Google my homes and you'll see nothing but five-star reviews. I've been very blessed with some wonderful families who are very supportive of it. I have had families that, I can't say I do this 100%. I have families who are like my dad's 85. He's set in his ways. A lot of these people, not only, like you said, they're elderly and need more sources of fuel for their brains. So the sweets are very appealing, but they've been, you know, they grew up in an era that, no one talked about diet. And so um, they've had a lifetime of sugar cravings. Some of them are just like, I don't care. I want that most of my mom wants is what my dad wants. And I tell them, okay, but could you please maybe not offer it to the other residents? And they're, I've never had anyone turn me down for that. I said, just be discreet with it. I don't want you leaving it in the room because you can have, we can attract bug problems and things like that too. Um, but I, um, but what I've been telling the families and I sit down with a lot of families one-on-one -on -one and say, this is what I'm going to do. You know, this is what we're doing with your mom. They're okay. But the, the general ketogenic stuff we've been doing um, from Maria's cookbooks, from, you know, other cooking ideas that people who've been in contact with me have helped no one the the residents don't complain about them. they we just gradually sort of mixed them in and then sort of went full time on it and no one complained and i'll tell you you know i went from losing a resident a month maybe two a month when i started to 
I, I've gone two years without losing a residence on my homes. And um, during COVID, I, I lost one person to COVID and he refused to do any of it. Wouldn't even, like I was sending my residents outside every day to get sunshine, fresh air, vitamin D to fight the COVID stuff. And he wouldn't do any of it. He went to the hospital and he died in the hospital. But other than that, it's for me, one of the biggest things for assisted living is not losing people because turnovers, you go a month or two without any revenue. So it's it's a tremendous boon for my business. And, you know, the the families to have those people around more, to have them doing better, that the families can take them out to lunch, take them home, things like that. They're thrilled with it. We're now coming to the my favorite part of this. This, this whole thing. And again, thank you for all that you're doing, because, you know, until I listened to you talk, I had really never, well, I had because I'm 50 now, but I had never really given the thought to how it can impact our seniors and how beneficial it could be for the families of who have loved ones that are in facilities or are aging. You, po- you posted a, a little meme that said, when you become frustrated with older people because of what they cannot do, think of how frustrated they must feel because they can no longer do it. And it, it's so true. I got home when I saw that one. And it, it, it's so true. We we forget because, you know, we're at this age where we're still being able to do these things, but it must be really frustrating. And we're, we're they say, he who feels it knows, and we're all hopefully going to live to uh, an older age. But now knowing what we know dietarily, that it's going to be a lot more physically active and, you know, eating the right foods. So talk to us, Hal, about these success stories, man. You have some great ones. I'd love to hear some ones you can point out. Well, the, the converse of that meme is think how excited those old people will be when they can do stuff. Yes. When they get back to doing it. So that's kind of what drives me. My favorite recent one is our our girl, Julie, who's uh, in six months. She came to us at 550 pounds, and she's only 42 years old. She was in a uh, hospital for almost nine years and in that nine years lost 50 pounds with them Um, nothing against the hospital they're doing all the normal take care of them but that hospital was full of what they call bariatric patients which is a nice way of saying very overweight patients she she moved in in october um she's lost two over 200 pounds since october so six or seven months doing and she's very much into the carnivore diet We've got another lady who moved in completely bedbound, um, very listless, not interested in life, anything like now. Now she is walking with a walker and she's, I know we're not, we disparage vegetables, but she's growing vegetables in our backyard in a little veggie garden. Can't grow meat, obviously. And I didn't want her tending cows (laughs) in our assisted living. So, um, but it gives her something to do. We have some church volunteers who come over and help her do that. We got her, I don't know if you've ever heard of a tower garden, but it's a really cool device that grows vegetables on a tower. It has a pump that pumps the water on. It's kind of hands off once you set it up. She's growing strawberries on it and things like that out in the sun, doing this by herself, talking, having a great time. We have a lady who is on the Bredesen protocol and she, her cognitive scores have gone up by about 20%. Um, she's remembering all our caregivers names, which she couldn't do. Um, I go there. Um, she says she wants to go on a walk every day now. So every time I'm over there, I take her for a walk and she tells me about the last time we went for a walk and, and what we did on it. So we're seeing 
which I have a, a lady who had blood sugars in the 300s. Um, she's down in the 100 and off all diabetes medicines now. I, I just, it's so cool to see. And it's, you know, the families are just like, holy cow, this is amazing. I even had a doctor come in and tell me when I get old, I want to move into your assisted living. It's, uh, it, it really helps you get up in the morning, get excited about the day. I, I absolutely love it. And thank you again, Hal. I mean, that's, that's incredible. And as Casey said, you know, he, Casey was almost moved to tears when he was interviewing you. And I just, you know, I can feel my heart swell knowing that you're out doing so much good in the world and you should definitely, you know, pat on your back for, for doing it, this type of stuff. It was fun doing Casey's interview. Cause I was actually at one of my homes when we were doing it. I'm like, Hey, you want to talk to one of the managers? Cause she was walking around and he's like, yeah, I'd love, Oh, that's, you know, so I was like lit up. I was like, here you go. Shove the computer and she just started talking about it, everything we're doing too so it's neat because uh my manager one of my managers lost 75 pounds doing these diets so it's it's rubbing off on them too and i it it's slowly going to the families but it's not there yet <laughs> some of them some more than others let's put it that way i bet and i just listened re-listened to that one you did with casey and your manager coming in it was great to hear that perspective i thought that was such a great impromptu yeah thing to i happen. didn't think of it until she just walked up to kind of ask me a question i'm like i'm on a podcast yeah. like, what are you talking to knowing this now and as you said you've you haven't had an empty bed in a in a couple of years i don't doubt that you're going to be now with the word getting out on your homes in the area that you'll you will have very many you probably have a waiting list but what impacted me too is when you said you know there's this thing called the silver tsunami that's happening and it's it's coming you know what what are you looking towards for the future and and what exactly is this silver tsunami that you're talking about for the folks the silver tsunami's demographics it's uh we've got baby boomers started being born in 1946 right after world war ii which makes them what 60 getting up to 70 80 years old so they're starting to get in the prime of assisted living age and there we go from 46 to i think 64 it's about 20 years of baby boomers coming where this huge generation is is not only they're already retired but they're already you know starting to show up in assisted living like i said i had a guy from vietnam in my assisted living so they're they're going to be hitting it it's going to be huge the estimates of dementia and alzheimer's cases are going through the roof i think it's somewhere between 50 and 80 million people are going to have it in the next 20 years and it's something that can be prevented too which is really cool I, you know, the marketing guys tell you you can never sell prevention, but if people see their mom and dad having it in assisted living and they know it's genetic, they're going to be interested in what can I do to stop this? And I would recommend everyone look up the Bredesen protocol and find out what they can do now because it, Alzheimer's and dementia starts in your 40s and 50s. It doesn't start like all of a sudden and you're, you're 76 and wake up and can't remember anything. As you and I both know, we both had brain fog in the past. So um, the sooner you get on it, the sooner you can prevent it or at least minimize it. Yeah, there's going to be a huge one. I would love to expand and, and buy a whole bunch more. The, the trouble is there's a nationwide shortage of caregivers. This is a tough business. It's uh, caregivers are, I swear there's a caregiver gene with the people I hire and work with. Many of them have been with me the whole time. I've 
had this place and I consider them part of my family. It's extremely hard to find a native, I don't mean a native American, but someone who was born in America that's like you and me, a regular American to do that work. They get paid about the same hourly wage as someone working at McDonald's, especially these days where you know fast food wages are going up and they have to go through about $1,000 and a couple months of training to become a certified caregiver. When they can walk into McDonald's, start tomorrow, work eight hour shifts, flipping burgers versus wiping old people's rear ends and changing diapers. And so you got to find the people who are just drawn to this industry. And I'm even like working with an immigration attorney to help bring some of the families of my caregivers from overseas. They're all, you know, American citizens or green card holders married to Americans, things like that. But their families are overseas and they're, you know, hardly ever going to get to see them. So we're trying to bring them over and I'm subsidizing that because these people are just amazing what they do with older people. And um, it's hard to expand when you can't, when you're not sure if you can find these kind of people, especially these days where everyone's short on people. We've been that way since I've been in this since 2015. You know, again, every day is a learning day, Hal. And as I listen to you, I, I, I had to think about it. it. It must take a certain type of person with a particular disposition, a particular level of patience and just care to be able to be one of your staff. Um, and as you said, during the interview process, if they have any issues with wiping butts, you know, it may not work out very well. That's that's the first question one of my managers asks when they, they interview someone. How do you feel about wiping old people's butts? <laughs> and if they do that, by <laughs> you don't want to do this job <laughs> no sir um, think of a job that you had full-time and you work like you had a big deadline and you had to get stuff done and you were working at the office till you know 8 9 p.m on a friday night or had to come in on a weekend you know that's a once in a while kind of thing my caregivers do that every day of every month of every year you know every week and never complain about it and you know, and, and not just work in the office, but have people who have serious dementia who are telling them that they're seeing monsters or they're telling them about their mom, you know, they're 87, but they're telling them about they got to go check on their mom and dad to make sure they're all right. How, how many folks now, and again, this is not the aim specifically, but it's always great when you can send folks home that have managed to recover. How many folks have you managed to send home? I've sent home, um, I think, eight in the past since 2015. Some were easier than others. Like some didn't just need a little extra push and a little rehab and things like that. But some we were very excited about. Yeah, I can send you a video of a guy who's actually singing as he's like leaving my home, oh. you know, singing to his daughter. Like he's so excited. <laughs> you know, as we sort of wind down a little bit now, but I, I just want to talk to you about that that aspect and, and just say that you know obviously the aim is it's great when they do get to not everyone does but the main goal for you is to allow them to at least visit their with their families that social interactions to be able to get out of the home um you know that can feel so isolating in other homes you also get your residents out on trips i saw some of the ones you know where you took them to the uh Tom Cruise movie with the aviator glasses. That was amazing. Yeah. You've taken them out, I think, to what, ball games before, stuff like that? Well, we're we're blessed to have spring training in Arizona. So we go every year to a couple ball games. And I last month I took them 
there's a wonderful organization called Dream Flights that take goes around the country taking old people up in a, a World War One Stearman biplane. Might be even might be a little later than World War One, but um, it's this open cockpit, Snoopy and the Red Baron kind of tail dragger plane, and uh, they take them up for rides. And we we got to take a whole bunch of them to go do that and put the old uh, helmet on, the leather helmet and the goggles and pretend they're, you know, the Red Baron kind of thing. And uh, next month we're taking them on a boat cruise around Lake Pleasant. So again, the healthier we can get them, the more they activities they can do. So we can't take everyone. We do still have people who are bed bound and stuff. But if we can even get them in wheelchairs, we'll get them out to some activities. And I see you actually working with your residents and the X3 bar. What is that like? That must be really amazing, the sort of strength that they can get out of those uh, from using them. A lot of the residents don't do the X3, but we use bands and barbells and things like that, uh, sort of parallel bars to help them try to walk. And uh, But the ones that X3, yeah, we've been seeing some really good results with that. We've got to modify some of the exercises Obviously, we can't have them standing up doing military presses if they're in a wheelchair, but we can scoot the the band underneath their butt and they can do a military press, you know, in the wheelchair still. It's it's not going to have the stretch it would if it's down by your feet versus on your butt, but it still gives them a good workout. I mean, the, the weight of the bars kind of challenging for some of them. So um, whatever we can do, whatever we see good progress. Like I said, that lady went from bed to wheel to a walker. Um, we have another lady who lost 40 pounds and is walking around the house doing great. And she, she was actually a singer on the old TV show, Hee Haw, like one of the background singers. I don't know if you remember that show, but she's, she walks around our house singing now. <laughs> it's wonderful because she has an amazing voice. So she's, and the reason we're doing the boat trip is she's from Maine and she um, used to, her whole family grew up with a boat and, you know, cruising around the Maine coast and everything. So they were thrilled to hear that we could get her out on a boat again. I smiled when I heard you're like me and that I I have some, obviously we all do elderly family members that are have been prescribed insure by their doctors and how how much you dislike that product like me it's just such garbage yeah, it is. <laughs> and they push it everywhere it's covered by insurance so it's gonna be free you know in many cases and it's just well they need their protein uh, i go right that's why we're giving them meat <laughs> it, it cracks me up i put on twitter one time i took a picture because it's i was in a walgreens or cbs and they have a a nutrition display and it says nutrition above there. And then it's all just insure and all the other chemical crap. And I'm like, who goes to Walgreens for nutrition? Al Kramer, this has been absolutely fantastic. And thanks again for your service, your time, everything. Um, before we finish out, Hal, what's what's next for you? What do you got plans for Hal Cranmer himself? What do, what do you got planned? That Bredesen protocol is, is my big push right now. Um, to try to get that fully implemented. Like I said, there's a whole bunch of reasons you get dementia and optimizing all of them. It's not just diet, but it's hormone therapy, it's uh, supplements, it's exercise, it's red light therapy, it's ox like heavy hyperbaric oxygen, all these things and trying to figure out the logistics of getting that program up and running. Because I'd love to have at least one or two homes just dedicated to that. And that's my 
my big goal. We, we've got people on the protocol, but we're not 100% into it. And then on the the bariatric side, I may be looking to see if we can move into a bigger facility to to help people more with that as well. Um, I don't I don't think I'm going to buy a whole bunch of more houses or anything like that. A until I get these down to a manufacturing process, and B until I can figure out the caregiver situation. So it's more going in deep rather than broad. <laughs> makes good sense sir and I, I also wanted to add a footnote that maria emmerich she's phenomenal her her carnivore cookbook was so instrumental for me too because there was options in it so i used it early on so thank you maria for all that you do big shout out to her she is a wonderful lady i'm hoping to go out to hawaii and meet her in person how yeah. where can folks find you if they just want to research more about paradise for parents the your assisted living facilities or just you online where can they go um sure uh, thank you i my website is aparadiseforparents.com. Make sure you put the A in front. I'm on Twitter, like you said, Hal, at Hal Cranmer. I I'm, I'm, have a business Facebook group that's uh, a paradise for parents assisted living. It's not a group. It's a business page. And then I am on Instagram, uh, assisted living Hal Cranmer. It's hard to keep up with all these social media things. I post on Twitter more than the others because it's easy to rip one off rather than get a picture already and everything like that. Yeah, I recently decided to join the fray and get a Twitter account. And I must admit, you were the one of the first that I followed on Twitter because your content's oh, so great, thanks. especially when you put the, the pictures of the residents and all that stuff. But um, Al, once again, I just want to say thank you for taking the time out. I was really- Oh, James, this is wonderful. Thanks I, for your patience. Yo, no, this has been fantastic, Alan. I, I hope to reconnect with you again and maybe, as you mentioned, in a, at a low-carb event somewhere in the future or at least coming that. back to the podcast to share more stuff. I would really love to, for you to have the opportunity to tell your success stories. And, and again, I just want to say thank you for all that you're doing. You know, it's it's really inspirational to watch everything and your advocacy in this area is should be highlighted and shone a light on. And that's why I'm just so pleased to be able to do this today. So thank you, sir. Well, like I try to tell people, you know, everyone loves kids and they're really cute. And I just had a, my first grandson and I love him to death, but no one pays attention to the old people. And the kids have tons of potential, but potential means nothing. Performance means everything. These old people have performed. They've built up our civilization and we owe them a whole debt of gratitude. That is for certain. Hal Cranmer, thank you so much. Thank you, James. And that's a wrap on this episode of Carnivorous Chats. If you've made it this far, I want to say thank you for listening and also thank you in advance for liking, subscribing, or sharing this episode. Thanks again to the good folks at Carnivore Bar and Equip Foods. Don't forget to check the link in the show notes to get a discount on their products. And also, don't forget you can book me for a 30-minute carnivore coaching session. Again, the link will be in the show notes. Until the next time, be well.